Well, I'm so excited to have today on Sam Talks Telehealth, Victoria Mall. We connected on LinkedIn over the last year and have really watched each other's work. And I think for my audience being able to have a coding expert here to talk about telehealth, super excited. Victoria, welcome to Sam Talks Telehealth. Thank you, Sam. I'm really excited to be here today. Now, Obviously, with the uh, what's been going on in the last year, everybody's been looking at telehealth codes and things like that. Tell me first, because you train coders, you do all kinds of work. Tell me how you came to being this expert, awesome online trainer. Um, it's it's been a long time coming. So let me tell you a little bit about my backstory. I don't want to go into the full details of everything, but I was someone who. Um, growing up, just very much a misfit, very much lost, you know, very goth, moody teenager, and didn't really understand the importance of school and education and getting into good uh, colleges or anything like that. I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. My mom, you know, she worked in healthcare. She was a CNA and she'd been a CNA since before you even needed to have like a, a license to be a CNA. She's just was, I guess, a candy striper. They used to call them back in then uh, when she was 16 working in nursing homes. She always loved our aging population. She was the type of person that, you know, she knew her patient population enough that if someone was going to pass away and she, <clears throat> she thought it might go past her shift, she would like stay with them and hold their hand because she didn't want anyone to die alone. So she always wanted them to have that human contact so that they didn't feel, you know, that they were, they were passing uh, alone, that someone was there with them. <clears throat> and my mother said to me one day, she's like, hey, Victoria, you know, I know you don't kind of know what you want to do. Have you ever thought about this medical coding? There's this lady that works at the nursing home. She has her own office. She has these books. She sits there and uh, she just like gets these charts from the doctors. No one really bothers her a lot. She just assigns these codes on the charts. And <clears throat> It seems like a good job. Uh, she leaves on time every day. And it's, have you ever considered this? But of course, being, you know, angsty teenager, knowing everything like a lot of teenagers do. I'm like, no, mom, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I don't think you actually know what you're talking about. I went to school for web design because I loved making websites ever since I was like 13 years old. And I thought, oh, well, because this is what I like doing, it's probably going to be my career path. Um, turned out not to be a couple classes short of graduating. You know, I developed depression. I'm like, I'm just going to stop right now and kind of get myself straightened out and work on that. And then, you know, after I got everything back in, in order, you know, now I'm like in my mid twenties and I'm like, well, what am I going to do for a career? I was kind of working in call centers and doing clerical work. And then I'm like, oh, well, didn't my mom say something once about like this medical coding thing? Maybe I should look into that. And I went to my local community college and I was going to re-enroll in an associate's degree program. And they said, oh, well, we actually have a medical billing and coding program, but it's not like an associate's degree program. It's a, you know, career diploma program and just go to the other building and they'll help you out. So I signed up. I got a grant from the state. They paid for my entire education and it was like, I got into it and wow, I was like really good at this and just so excited. I wound up, this was really at the era when providers were getting purchased by hospitals, that the practices were just getting bought up, bought up, bought up, bought up, bought up, um, because things like EMR were coming on and providers couldn't sustain that in their private practices. Some of those things were coming up. So <clears throat> because they were just hiring so many 
they were hiring a ton of people because they were buying all these practices. So I got an internship after school. They swept me right up into the internship for this large healthcare institution. And then they said, hey, we need some coders. And anyone who wants to get certified in coding will bring in an instructor. You can take the course. And if you pass, we'll reimburse you all of the fees for becoming a certified coder. So I went out, got my coding certification and nothing against my instructor at the time. I think there just weren't a lot of good resources available to teach at that time. But I felt like I was just kind of being read the CPT manual. So I really got inspired to be like, well, I would love to teach this one day, but teach it in a more animated fashion. Like there's gotta be a better way we can do this. And that had been a long-term goal of mine. So I had worked towards it for quite a few years, just in little aspects, like the ways that people maybe don't realize that you have to, in order to become someone who is at a more expert level. Like I started getting extra certifications. I started getting involved in local chapters. Um, so that way I had to speak to people and say like, hey, I'm Victoria, I'm such and such of the chapter, um, glad to see you, network with people. Then I started doing small presentations. I started doing longer presentations. I started publishing articles in Healthcare Business Monthly. I went to speak then at national conferences, at regional conferences, started my own small business, which is now built into my full-time business, and uh, always had this little inkling to do things like video. And I had trialed my first video a few years ago and just some, some things changed in my, my family situation and I wasn't able to kind of have the settings that I needed to continue with that. Um, but then I, I actually very much lucked out because I bought a house, I think, a few weeks before the big lockdown came and the housing market like soared out of control. Um, so I set up this home office specifically thinking, okay, well now I can do all of this education remotely. I can do, uh, I have a document camera. So if I need to show someone what I'm doing in my book or how I calculate out a square centimeters of a wound, I'm going to set up a good camera and lighting. So everything was like completely set up right before all of the sudden everyone was going remote and everyone was, you know, setting up zoom meetings and, and all of the tech and so forth. So it's, I, I always felt like it would do well, but I've been very surprised at just how well the social media progression has gone. That's amazing. I love that. And I've loved watching as you've grown this and, and done this. It's amazing. Now I'm going to dig in a little bit on telehealth. So what have you been seeing in terms of challenges for coders in this last year with this rise of telehealth? You know, we had waivers come in, plus we had codes that were already on the books that I don't think people had a lot of consciousness that they existed, like the emails and the telephone calls. Just tell me what you've seen of the coders really being able to take on telehealth um, in that way. Yeah, I think it's... I think it was very surprising, like you said, for some of the coders to understand that this wasn't new, that we actually had these codes, they already existed. Um, and that maybe there was also even things like modifiers. But I think one of the barriers we've had, of course, has been the payers. So we, after we've got the, the pieces put together of, okay, here's the code for a telephone visit. We need to have the time documented of how much time was spent or here was difference between audio visual versus just telephone only. Once we got that down, then it was, oh my gosh, are we actually gonna get paid for this? 
And it seemed like it was just this whirlwind the first few months of, well, now Medicare saying this, now they're saying this, well, we've been billing at this place of service because this is what we thought it was. Now they're telling us no bill at place of service 11. So I think just trying to keep up with all of the different policies has been daunting. And then of course I worked a lot with residents and they were very confused because they're like, well, can I do anything right now? Because I have to have a supervising physician. And if I'm in a video visit, does that mean my supervising physician needs to be right behind me during the video visit? Or how do I, how does that component of it work? Um, and then, you know, even when you get the process down, then you have to figure out that piece of, well, how do we get it documented in the right way so that in case when those audits come, because we all know, like, even though they've given us a little bit of leeway and they've gone, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to look at it. It's okay. You know, we, we know how Medicare is because they'll go back six years. So they might not audit us for another four years or so, but they, they will audit us. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, like, what do you think um, with, obviously people went with video codes and then you had the phone codes. Like, I think those are still really common for everybody, but mm -hmm. have you seen much coding in terms of the virtual visits and these digital evaluation and management codes? Do you see people using those or do you think we're still need a lot of education on how they actually use those? Um, to be honest with you, I haven't seen too much of the digital E&M codes. There's just been, I think, so much of just the, the E&M guideline changes that a lot of focus has been on that versus the telehealth aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, and what do you think, like going forward, what, are, or let me ask it this way. What's your take on what'll be permanent what'll go away? What's your sense in your community? I think the audio video is going to stay. I think there might be some more stricter guidelines continuing on things like HIPAA that we're going to be very concerned about, you know, things being encrypted, making sure that providers are not um, in areas where other people can hear them, that they're not having anyone inter intervene into their meetings, so to speak. So I think a lot of the audio videos are going to stay. Um, I think the audio only kind of depends on what I think they're going to find as far as compliance with providers. I think if they find that a lot of them are getting billed and providers aren't documenting clearly that they're reviewing the documentation and saying, hey, you know, we don't know what happened here. We don't know how many minutes. We don't know what you discussed that maybe the documentation is lacking. I could see that one being at a higher risk of potentially not staying. But I feel like I feel like from what I've heard of Medicare, they're saying that now that they've implemented anything, it's going to be really hard to dial back and say, well, now you can't do it anymore. So I think it's not going to be a snap of the finger overnight. All of a sudden, no, you can't do telehealth anymore. I think it's going to be more like after we investigate more and see where there are deficiencies, we might maybe develop more strict guidelines or say that you can only do it in certain instances. Um, and I think Medicare is really going to be the headliner in what happens. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So let's close out on one question that I think will be really useful for everyone in the audience. And so obviously we know providers 
document certain things. And then it's usually the coders who are then going through and figuring out, does this make sense? Does this not make sense? What not? What have you seen in telehealth and in any aspect that tends to be the most common problems of why that bill gets kicked back? And is it telehealth specific or is it more general documentation? So the interesting thing about why things get kicked back is initially they're not kicked back because of the documentation. It's a system edit. So it's not like you send out the bill and they're always looking at your documentation. And that's one of the things that I think surprises residents. They feel like, you know, they're new to medicine and they don't understand. They're like, oh, well, they're going to see all of my documentation. It's like, no, not every, not everything you do is getting looked at. It might be getting looked at maybe by a coder, depending on your structure, but the insurance company is only going to look at that if they see something that's really off the mark. Maybe you build something with um, a 22 modifier for a surgery. There's only certain things that they initially want to see the paperwork for. So it could go out and have absolutely no documentation, and that might not get discovered until they come and do a probe and do an audit on your documentation. So... What, what I think is interesting is a lot of the denials are going to be based off of edits. So it's really crucial, I think, to keep track of those denials. So if you are billing something with, let's say, a modifier 95, because you think that they need that modifier 95, and now you're starting to see, oh, well, this Medicare Advantage plan is denying it every single time, you know, you need to have that tracked somewhere. Because either something's wrong with that Advantage plan and they're not following their own policy, something's wrong with their system, or maybe there was an update that you don't know about. So I think one of the crucial things that you can do is really keep track of this. This is what our Medicaid payers do. This is what our Medicare payers do. This is what Aetna does. This is what this does. So can they do an audio visit? Can they do an audio video visit? Do they need a, a modifier? Do they need a place of service? And then when you get start getting denials and seeing, hey, this isn't getting paid, you can reference back to that and go, well, wait a minute, like that's not what I have on my grid. Did it change and I need to update the grid or did the insurance policy change or is the insurance policy not following the guidelines that they originally told us? Yeah, I love that. And I think that is really important that as people, they're turning them in, they're keeping track of what actually gets, you know, kicked and then understanding it. And I think you also made a good point about, um, you know, is it actually the insurance company's policy, but they don't do it. Well, Victoria, I'm so excited that you joined us today. Tell me, how can people reach out to you and learn more about the different trainings that you do for their coders? So I am all over the internet. I'm uh, contempocoding.com. I'm on YouTube. I have a very large YouTube following. I have a uh, Instagram following at Contempo Coding. I'm actually on TikTok as well. So I've been starting to put together some quick tips there, as well as just some funny things just about the industry in general. And you're happy to contact me there. Awesome. Well, I'll put it all in the show notes so everyone can find Victoria. But Victoria, thanks so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm excited that this can help my audience with all their coding. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sam. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. Thank you, everybody, for joining the show. Please be sure to like and subscribe so you know when the podcast drops. And we'll see you back next time.